Father, we love you. We thank you for how much you love us. I thank you, Father, very specifically this morning for your great and amazing faithfulness. Something that we in our family and we as a church have seen over and over and over again and has become more and more obvious over the last month or so, just seeing you work, seeing you provide, seeing you take care of us. We're so grateful. And you are so good. We pray as we dive into your word today that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be willing to listen, and that ultimately yours would be the voice that we hear. May you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 says, But recall the former days, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And something I want to keep you, I want you to keep in the back of your mind, because I'm probably going to forget, is we are enduring to a possession for ourselves in heaven. And then the phrase, saving of our souls, is a secret, which you'll find out when we get that far. But they're connected, and it's very cool. Last week, we focused on the reality of salvation and judgment as we looked at the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In doing so, we explored the fact that there is only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. And there is only one outcome for those who continually reject the Spirit's prompting to receive that salvation. And that is eternal judgment. Today, we are going to be reminded to be those who live by faith and do not draw back from our belief. Now, something that I do want you to note, and this may not even be in your brains, because uh, it wasn't in my brain when I was writing out my notes, but popped in there while I was reading. When we began the book of Hebrews, we talked about the audience of this book. And one of the many suggestions that's been made by scholars is that it was written to a Hebrew audience, hence the name. It was written to a Jewish audience. Now, there were some who suggested, because of the language and the style um, and, and the many, many references to the Old Testament, that Paul was writing to, like, Pharisees and religious leaders. But when we get this far up, and in a few other places that we've seen, He's encouraging believers to endure. So that also gives us the idea that even if parts of the letter were meant for uh, a Jewish audience that were non-believers, 
it was definitely written to believers as well. So something to keep in the back of your mind. And if you forget, that's okay. Illumination led to struggle in our first few verses today. Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So Paul points out in the verses that when they first came to know the Lord, as the Holy Spirit illuminated each of them to believe in Jesus Christ, that they endured or persevered through a lot. Now, I love the word for illuminated here because it does mean kind of what we think it means, to shed a ray of light on something, to enlighten or to make someone to see. And when we come to belief in Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week, this is a work of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. This is a work where the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, convicts us of our sin, shows us the righteousness of Christ, shows us the reality of judges, or judge us, judgment, and then shows us the way out through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. And when that happens, right, it's like the, the blind man that Jesus healed. This I know. Once I was blind, but now I can see. And the only way we can see is because the Holy Spirit shows us. So when they came to that place where the Holy Spirit illuminated the truth of the gospel to them and they believed, they suffered. They struggled. They endured a number of things. The word for struggle in this passage is athlesis. I had a lot of fun with my Greek dictionary this week, just so you know. Uh, it's athlesis, and it means to struggle or fight. The word for suffered is pathema. It's where we get our word pathos. Well, actually, we get that from Latin, but still. Um, to undergo hardship, pain, or affliction, but both physically and emotionally. You know, we in our country very rarely suffer physically for our faith in Christ. I don't know about you. I've never been beaten. I've never been stoned. I've never been, you know, none of that's ever happened to me. No one's ever tried to boil me in oil. I'm very grateful. But I've been insulted. I've been cussed out. I've been lied about. I've been, I've had a lot of that stuff happen. And so while that doesn't hurt physically so much, you know, it hits you in the feels. And that's, that's not fun either. They were made a spectacle of. And the word is theatrizo. Guess what word we get from that? Theater. Made a gazing stock to expose as a spectacle. They were, there were reproaches, and it's oniadismos. I might stop saying all the Greek words. There, there should be an international. There, there. And it means to be abused, reviled, and vilified. And finally, tribulations, flipsis. To be afflicted, to suffer persecution, to go through anguish or trouble. And this is what happened. They believed this is what happened. And there are places in the world today where this is still the reality. Where if you give your life 
to Christ, there's a good chance you're going to be physically attacked and maybe even killed. And they are perfectly aware of that before they come to know Jesus. And they come to know him anyway. And this isn't made to make anybody feel guilty because I need to hear this as much as anybody else. But they come to know Jesus Christ and they risk their lives. Owning a Bible in certain countries is punishable by prison or death. Going to church in certain countries is punishable by prison or death. And, and we complain when God prompts us to share the gospel with somebody because we're afraid of what they might think of us. Or maybe we complain, no offense, I'll point this at my daughter who's suffering this week. Or we complain because, oh, I gotta get up, I gotta go to church. Guys, we got nothing to complain about. Now, that might not always be the case, but for now it is. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, for a long time, and I'm just gonna throw this out there, I struggled because I, I have a friend who's a pastor in the Philippines, and I really struggled because what he goes through is so much different than what I go through as a pastor. I mean, he has been, he's been threatened. He has been followed. He's been, he's had people threaten their church. He's had all kinds of stuff. Um, now, he became a chaplain to the police department, so now the police look after him. But it just, it was, it was difficult for him. And he, he just faces things we don't face. There are days where he wakes up and he doesn't know how he's going to feed his family. By God's grace, I've never dealt with that. A couple months ago, I was having my morning prayer time. This isn't meant to be a brag on me, please, um, or, or us. But I was having my morning prayer time and the Lord said, you need to send Carly. There's some money. This is money. Okay. So I went to Walmart. I called her. We said, yeah, we'll spend this much. I sent it to him. And he writes me back and he says, yesterday was my daughter's first day of school and she didn't have shoes. I had to carry her in to the classroom because she couldn't walk outside because she didn't have shoes. Now we can go buy her shoes. I felt hard. Tears streaming down my face. I'm like, I whine and moan if I can't buy a new iPhone. I do. Just Okay, not so much anymore, but I have in the past. And he just wanted to buy shoes for his daughter. And so the Lord smacked me and said, good. And I had no idea. No idea. All I knew is that he told us to do that. And we did. Right? So I felt really guilty about that for a long, for a long time. I struggled with it. Years and years ago, I went on a mission trip to India. Had the hardest time coming back from that. And the Lord shared with me um, that while... Because of my culture and upbringing, I would have a really hard time ministering in his environment. But because of his culture and upbringing, he'd have a really hard time ministering in mine. And I went, really? Nah. He goes, yeah, your temptations are different. Your distractions are different. Your trials, your struggles, they're different. I mean, some of them are universal, but some of them are very, very different. And I went, huh, never thought about that. I'm going to quit lying. But when it comes to persecution or suffering, it shouldn't surprise any of us. Jesus told us in John 16, that these things I have spoken to you, 
that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Peter reminded us in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, that beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of God rests upon you. On their part he is blaspheming, but on your part he is glorified. So it shouldn't surprise us, and we should rejoice. Now, if you're anything like me, when something bad happens, the first thing that comes to your mind isn't, woohoo! It's just not the way I am. But eventually I reflect, I pray, I get over myself, and the Lord shows me that I do have things to rejoice in, even when other things don't feel like it. This happened to them not only because they believed, but also because they became companions, which is partners, or to share in fellowship with those who were treated that way. And Paul points out his chains, that they had compassion on him in his chains. He points out that they provided for him when he was going through these various things. So going so far as to say, I plundered your goods, and you didn't even complain about it. This is, of course, one of the passages that confirms to me that Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews, because this shows up in other places like 2 Timothy 1, 8, and 16, where Paul talks about that. But we should never, like they were not ashamed of Paul, we should never be ashamed of our Lord or those who suffer for his name. Luke 9.26 reminds us that whoever is ashamed of him, Jesus says, who's ever ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. We should never, ever be ashamed. And that's what 2 Timothy 1.8 says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And then I'm going to bring up just kind of a, a tiny bit rabbit trail. But when we partner with those who work for his name, and you've got to think about this. Uh, we support missionaries personally. We as a church support missionaries I mean, we have missionary in Africa. We, I think we have two missionaries in Africa. And we have a missionary that works for navigators. We have a missionary that works, well, used to work for child evangelism fellowship, but is still in that realm of ministry, right? We have these people that we support and that this church has supported faithfully, even when the church probably should have stopped, at least from a financial standpoint. But the elders, long before I was here, they said, no, we're not going to stop doing that. And God has honored that, I believe really do. But when you get to Matthew 10, 40 through 42, Jesus says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, 
he shall by no means lose his reward. Kingdom economics is awesome. Right? Because we support missionaries as a church, God honors that and will honor us and our efforts and the rewards they receive that are being stored up for them in heaven. You know, some of that gets put on our account. I think that's kind of cool. Something that you guys don't always think about, probably, but I've said this and I mentioned it and I'm very thankful for it. The church takes good care of me takes good care of us as a family. And I am grateful for that beyond measure. But what that means is, is everything I do, we do. Because I couldn't do the things I do without you. Both by you praying for me and being supportive and encouraging of me, but also, and this isn't to be crass, but also because of your giving. Because you are faithful to the church, and the church can take care of me and I can do my job. Right? I don't have to be distracted by working another job. I don't have to be worried when people call, hey, can I come meet with you? Yes, you can, because I'm here. Or, you know, uh, I've, over this year, I've done uh, two funerals and a wedding. Both of those, when they called, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can be available for those things. I've been called to go work at the pregnancy center. And, and I'm not doing this to brag about me. I'm doing it to brag about you. Because I couldn't do it without you. Something in the sound system is weird. It's misbehaving. But I couldn't do this without you. Not even a little bit. I need you guys, right? Couldn't do it without the Lord. Jesus told us that in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I have learned that lesson. Partially. I realized what that statement sounded like, and I'm just not that dumb. I, I, I've learned that lesson over and over again. How about that? He constantly teaches me that I can't do anything apart from him. But I couldn't do my job without you. My, I just, I couldn't. And that's what it boils down to. That's why we partner with missionaries. That's why we are partnered together as a church. So we can do what God has called us to do. And as a result of that, even though we might go through difficulty, we can know that there will be an enduring possession for us in heaven. There will be a reward. In verses 35 through 38, we're going to talk about our confidence, our faith, our reward, and his return. Therefore, Verse 35, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not. Oh, I'm going to stop there. We're going to stop at verse 38, sorry. So we do not cast away or throw away our confidence in the Lord, but instead we endure with constant and patient waiting on the Lord. I love the word confident here. It's parousia in the Greek, and it means all outspokenness, assurance, and boldness. This is the same word 
from Hebrews 4.16, where we are told that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That's the boldness. That's the confidence we have. And as we talked about back in Hebrews chapter 4, this is not confidence in myself. This is not confidence in my goodness. This is not confidence in all the good works or all the good things I've done. This is confidence in what Jesus Christ has done for us. I come boldly to that throne, and I don't come boldly to the throne of God and say, I'm here, Lord, and you've got to listen to me because I'm a good guy. Right? I treated my wife good. I didn't swear at anybody today. So now you've got to answer my prayer. If anybody's really dumb and wants to try that, don't. It's a bad idea. You know, I come before the throne of God and you say, I know I can come boldly. I know I can ask for anything in faith. Doesn't mean I'm always going to get it, because that's according to his will, not mine. But I can still ask. But I come in Jesus Christ. I stand before God, clothed in his righteousness. That confidence doesn't come from me. It comes from the greatness of my Savior and what he's done for me. And in that confidence, we are to endure. Hupamone. Right? I think, uh, what was it? Uh, Billy Idol wrote a song about that. Hupamone. No, no, seriously. Anybody get that joke? <laughs> Did you remember Moni Moni? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I've, I've, t I've discussed this with several people on multiple occasions. I don't care if you laugh at my jokes. If I think they're funny, that's all that matters. <laughs> but Hupamone, it's a hopeful, constant, patient waiting on the Lord. Now, you've got to put those words together. Because, right, we can, we can endure by hoping in what God will do. And we can do that, or we should do that, because of the confidence he gives us, consistently. Which, if you're anything like me, right, consistency is not always the easiest thing to do, is it? How about patiently? Anybody here really good at waiting patiently on the Lord? I'm so glad no hands went up. I know I'm in good company. The Lord and I, we've had many discussions about this. And patience there are things in my life that I've been praying for for 25 years, and I think he kind of smiles because I still pray for some of them. Some of them he's shown me that I needed to stop, but some of them I still pray for because I still believe it's what God wants to do or a prayer that God wants to answer, and he's just like, yep, not yet. Okay. I don't like it, but I'll keep praying. And then waiting on the Lord. Hopeful, constant, patient, waiting on the Lord. And what does waiting on the Lord mean? Does that mean we go out and sit in the forest and contemplate the lint in our belly buttons? Feel free. Um, that's not my thing. What does a waiter do? I love going to restaurants and thinking about waiters. Mostly because I love to eat out. But what does a waiter do? They serve. As we wait, we serve. We don't sit still. Uh, one of my favorite pastors is fond of saying... Um, and I can't remember his name. It's the same pastor I told the story about in Sunday school. Um, he's fond of saying you can't steer a parked car. So if we want God to guide and steer our lives, we've got to be moving. According to his direction and in the power of his spirit. But still, that's what the next thing says. Doing the will of God. We have confident endurance as we do the will of God. And I love the word for doing here. 
It's poio. It's the root word of poema, which shows up in Ephesians 2.10, where we are told that we are God's workmanship. We are his poema. We are his poem or masterpiece. And we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them which he has laid out beforehand for each and every one of us. So when this talks about us doing the will of God, it means that we are content to continue in the will of God. That means that without any delay, we journey through the purpose for which God has created us. Very specific, right? Because there are general things that we do that are part of the will of God. Pray without ceasing, you know, rejoice, give thanks always, pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we should rejoice, we should pray without ceasing, it's the will of God. There's other places where he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, we know the will of God is that he wants us to be set apart from the world. We have specific commands in the Bible. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Right? Well, then that must be the will of God because it's clearly commanded us in Scripture. But for each and every one of us, God has called each and every one of us to something very specific. He has gifted us for that calling. And he has placed us where he has placed us to walk out and live out that calling. Does anybody here think they live in Gunnison by accident? We don't, except for those of you who don't live in Gunnison. Uh, <laughs> I know there's other out-of-towners here, but we love you anyway. Right? You, oh, okay, well, you're from here, then, then that's a little better. I'm getting my attention. But think about that. And this is something, and I don't know about you, we should wake up every day focused on the Lord and his purpose for our life. That's what we should wake up doing. I don't always do that, but I try. It's a little easier for me because of what I do for a living, right? I, I am, by God's grace, living out my calling, and I'm so, so thankful for that. Um, but it's for all of us. That's what it means to do the will of God, to journey through the purpose for which God has created us. And I believe this is what we are encouraged to do. Philippians 2, 12 through 16. It's kind of a long passage, but that's okay. It's the word of God, so we need to listen to it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This does not mean we work for our salvation. What this means is we are seeking God for what he wants to go on in our life. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love that phrase. We are supposed to seek him. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to read the word. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to walk that out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? But he's the one who does it in us. How cool is that? And then he goes on. Do all things without complaining and disputing. <coughs> that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. What is Paul saying in his letter to the Philippians here? 
He says, guys, figure out what God wants you to do and then do it. And hold on to your faith. Which is what we're about to be encouraged to do in our text. In so doing, we will receive a great reward. I like that. Because after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So in so doing, we will receive the great reward and promises given to us throughout Scripture. The first of which comes from this Scripture quoted from Habakkuk chapter 2. And it is the promise of Jesus' return. I don't know about you. I've said that like 15 times today. I'm going to try to stop. Because I pretty much do know about that. But are you looking forward to the return of Christ? Yes. We were talking about that this morning. We're working on some tax stuff and whatnot for me. Um, I'm, because I'm clergy, I get special things, and we're trying to figure some of that out. Um, but in that, we were talking about retirement. I was like, I'm not going to retire. Jesus is going to come get me. That's my plan. Well, I don't, I, and I'm not disparaging anybody who's retired. Good for you. I'm actually a little jealous. But um, I figure I'm going to go to church every week. I might as well get paid for it. Um, and, and so one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to die preaching a sermon, or the rapture is going to come. One way or the other, I have no, there's no point in me retiring. But I do, I wake up constantly, especially if I'm having a bad day. I'm like, Lord, just come on. Right? We're coming up on an election. I highly encourage you to vote. I highly encourage you to vote biblical values. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for or what to say yes or no on. That's not my job. If you ask me when I'm not on, you know, film, film, <laughs> on, you know, not being broadcast around the world to like three people on Facebook, um, I will gladly tell you what I, I plan to vote on or vote for. But what I will encourage you to do is vote. The Bible tells us we need to exercise our rights as citizens. How did I get on this? Anybody? Retirement? Retirement? No. Oh, let's step back anyway. Um, taxes and Jesus coming. Jesus is coming back. There's, that's what I was. <laughs> See, I have a disorder. So in that process, right, we're coming up on an election. You should vote and you should vote biblical values. Right? That's what I'll say about that. That is our responsibility as citizens. But here's the reality. What if this election goes our way? What if all the people we want to get in, get in? I'm assuming we agree, and maybe we don't. I don't know, and that's okay. Or what if all the things we don't want passed fail, and what if all the things we do want passed succeed? Is our country overnight going to become this oasis of perfection? No, because you want to know what? We're still electing politicians. They're still going to lie. We're still passing laws or shooting down laws that either they're going to do it, even though we voted against it, or... They're going to find some other way to pass some other law it, because, unfortunately, and I love my country, but our government is corrupt. You can't help it. It's just true. So you want to know what? I don't put my hope in government. I don't put my hope in the next election. I don't put my hope in what laws will or will not be passed. I don't panic when things are passed that I don't like or I disagree with. I don't put my hope in any of that. You want to know what I put my hope in? The return of Jesus Christ. 
I put my hope in the salvation that he's purchased for me. I put my hope in the promises of his word. I put my hope in the promises of what eternity holds for each and every one of us. That's where my hope is. Because if everything happens that we want to happen on a political level, there will still be sin. There will still be corruption. There will still be persecution. There will still be economic issues. I'm sorry. This is meant to encourage you. Right? And if the people that we don't vote for get in, the people that we don't want get in, we still have a job to do in preaching the gospel. We still have a word that we can believe that will never fail. We still have a God who will be faithful and who sits on the throne of the universe. So who cares what happens in the election? Okay, I care a little bit. A little bit. But in the end, that is not where my hope lies. Because the word says, yet a little while, and he who's coming will come and will not tarry. Amen. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. What do we do while we wait? The just shall live by faith. I love that phrase. The just shall live by faith. It's quoted in Habakkuk 2.4. That's the first place it appears. Then Paul quotes it two more times in the New Testament. Once in Romans 1.17 and once in Galatians 3.11. And what does it mean? Those of us who are just, justified before God, we have been made right before God as we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are now to live our lives by faith or confidence or trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he has created us for. That's how we live our lives. Paul said it very well in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We add 2 Corinthians 5.7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. That's why when I see what's going on in the world, I'm not saying it doesn't bother me. There's a lot of things happening that break my heart. There's a lot of things happening that make me angry. And if I focus on that, if I live my life according to what I see in this world, oh, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to get anxious. But if I look at all that stuff that's going on in the world... And I say, you know what, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I am no longer going to live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself and gave himself for me. Well, it's a very different perspective, isn't it? Yeah, all this stuff is going on. And my God, who is faithful to me, who loves me, who's given me his spirit, who's given me his word, he's in charge and he's going to take care of it. Oh, that's hope. That's hope. But if anyone draws back, God has no pleasure in them. And that's what verse 39 explains to us. At the end of verse 38, if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who who believe to the saving 
of the soul. And this phrase, saving of the soul, I asked you to remember it because we talked about we have a better and enduring possession for ourselves in heaven in verse 34. And now we get down to this phrase, saving of the soul, which just makes me very excited. We are not those who draw back to perdition, but we are those who believe and are therefore saved. Right? The word draw back is hupostale, and it's apostasy. It means an abandonment or a renunciation of our faith. And we delved into that deeply when we were studying chapter 6. So if you need to go back and listen to that, I encourage you to do so. But we did a deep dive into how and what it looks like and what it means for a Christian to purposely walk away from their faith. I said back then, and I firmly hold to this, we can't lose our salvation. Right? You're not going to wake up one morning and go, man, where did I put Jesus? Right? You lose your keys, you lose your cell phone, we lose a lot of things, you lose your mind. Um, but you don't lose your salvation. Now, it is possible, according to that passage in Hebrews chapter 6 and several others, to make a conscious choice to renounce and abandon your faith. That is very different. Very different. That's what's being spoken of here. Now, if you do not renounce and abandon your faith, then the Bible says that Jesus holds us in his hand and no one can snatch us out. And that the Father holds us in his hand and no one can snatch us out. And that there is nothing in all of creation, Romans 8, 31 through 39, nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And I'm not going to renounce my faith, and I don't believe you are. We are not those who draw back, so we are eternally secure as a result. I love that. Now, does that mean that I'm the one sustaining my own salvation? No. You want to know how I managed to not renounce my faith? Because God is holding on to me, and he won't let go. Right? Do you ever, I, I love this illustration. Um, when our kids were real little, we, uh, especially our son and the, the, our middle daughter, our other daughter was born in North Dakota. There were no beaches there. Um, but when our other two were little, we, we took them to the beach a few times. Not a lot, because I hate the beach. But we took them to the beach a few times, right? And like my son, when he'd be like three or four, he wanted to go splash around in the water. And do you think he held my hand or did I hold his? Oh, I held his hand like a vice, right? His hand would be red when I let go because he's flopping around in the waves and he couldn't swim and he was going to drown. But he wanted to be in the water and I wanted him to have fun, so I took him in the water. And I held him. I held him. That's what God does for us. It's not about me holding his hand. All right, Lord, I'm not going to let go. It's about his holding mine, and he promises me that he's not going to let go. And for that, I am eternally grateful. But we don't draw back. We don't apostate to perdition. The word for perdition is apoleo, and it means spiritual and eternal ruin. Spiritual and eternal ruin, loss, and destruction. It's bad. It's bad. There is a word in Greek, anathema, that appears a couple times in Scripture, and it means destined for destruction. And it is always used of those who have repeatedly rejected the gospel. To the saving of our soul. Now this, this is the word, ever since I looked this up, that I've been waiting to share with you. The word is peripoiesis. Say that three times fast. And what it means is the acquisition of the purchased possession, which is our soul. So think about that. Who purchased our souls? 
Jesus Christ. What does he promise? That where I am, you will be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. He's also promised he's coming back for us. There will come the day. See, we are purchased. You and I, believers in Jesus Christ, we are purchased by the blood of Christ. Peter says, because you have been redeemed, not with gold, silver, or precious stones, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm his. I'm his. Does he physically have possession of me yet? No, I'm still in the warehouse. Right? I'm still, with the, I'm still in layaway, whatever you want to call it. I'm still here. But the day will come. And maybe that day will come with a trumpet sound, which is what I hope for. Maybe that day will come because I step in front of a bus. Maybe that day will come because God is, I'm done, and he lets my heart give out. I don't know. That's up to him. It's not up to me. But when that day comes, he's going to take possession of what he purchased. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about patience. I have a serious patience problem. I know it. And for some reason, Amazon really likes to test it. Amazon. They go, here, I ordered this. I can't wait to get it. I'm really excited about getting it. It's going to be here on Thursday. Thursday comes and goes, and it's not here. Friday, Saturday, get a little email. Sorry, we lost your package. Do you want a refund or another one? Well, I ordered it, so I want that. Right? So then they send that out. Oh, it'll be there next Tuesday. And Tuesday, and then Wednesday. And then it finally shows up, and I finally get to take possession of that which I purchased. How exciting is that? Can you imagine how excited... God is to take possession of us. He went through all of that to one day take possession of us. And that's what that means, the belief for the saving of their soul. But we don't draw back. Jesus addressed this in Luke chapter 9, verses 59 through 62. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. A lot of people have a problem with that. The reality was he wasn't, his father wasn't probably dead yet. What he was probably asking is, you know, my father's alive. When he kicks off, I'm going to get all this money, then I'll come follow you. And Jesus said, no, that's, that's not what we're, I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to follow me now, not when you have enough money. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no, one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, does this mean if you go on a mission trip, you can't say goodbye to your family? No. What was the problem here? He was putting something else in front of Jesus calling to follow him. I love my family. I love my family greatly. There have been times where God has wanted me to do something that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And didn't always make sense to my family. And he did it anyway. But some people will be like, well, you know, I, I can't do this because it might upset my dad or it might upset my sister. No. If God's calling you to do it, you do it. I think it's the cable. I need to order another one. Right? Because that's not what we're called to. We are called to follow him. I love 
the scenes in Scripture where Jesus comes along and he sees Peter and, 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 uh, and his brother Andrew in the boat and they're fishing and he goes, follow me. And they dropped everything and followed him. He sees John and James a little way up the beach, follow me. And they dropped everything. There's one of the things, I love The Chosen, I, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I love The Chosen, but in The Chosen, when he calls James and John, they ask their father for permission. That didn't happen in scripture. They just followed Jesus. He sees Matthew at the tax office. That's my favorite one. Now that one they did very well in the chosen. He sees Matthew at the tax office. Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And he quits. He quit everything. His livelihood, his wealth, his status. He just throws it all away and says, nope, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's, he called. I'm going. Well, I'm going to put this forth to each and every one of us. He's calling us to do the same. He's not calling me to leave my wife so I could serve him, but he's calling me to follow him no matter what. Now, I have an amazing wife, and she has never, ever been an obstacle to my calling. Never. I said, I think God wants us to do this. She'd go. Let's do it. Every single time. And they will. Not everybody's like that. Not everybody. I'm just saying, I got the best wife ever. Right? And I know a lot of husbands out there, you probably think you've got the best wife ever too, but only one of us can be right. <laughs> it's just how it works. But she has never, ever gotten in my way or said anything. She's never said boo to anything. I think God wants me to do this. Okay. Right? So it doesn't mean I have to walk away from her or leave her or anything of the sort. And nobody else should either. And if you're really wise, you're not going to step out without your wife alongside you or your husband alongside you or your kids alongside you anyway. When we prayed about coming up here, we looked at our kids and we said, you're praying with us. We're all going to agree. And we all agree. But in the end, we don't draw back. We follow him. We follow him without reservation. We follow him without hesitation. So as we close, somehow I managed to not put my conclusion in my notes. When we were in Hebrews chapter 3, we read this verse. But Christ is the son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Jesus is the one who begins and sustains our salvation. That does not absolve us of our responsibility and the power of the Holy Spirit to continue in our confidence in Jesus Christ. Right? We still have to continue. We studied this at length in Hebrews 4. Yes, salvation is all of God, but we can make the choice to draw back into apostasy. And this is not what God wants for us. And this is not why Jesus died for us. He wants us to live our lives in faith, to honor him, to live the purpose for which he created us. As we walk with the Lord and we live by faith in who he is, what he has done and what he can do in us, then nothing could get in the way of being who God wants us. I wanted, I wanted to read that. It was much better than what I was thinking I might come up with on the spot. 
Threads we close. Three questions. I love doing this. Have you received the illumination of the Spirit of God leading you into a relationship with Christ? Number one, I say it every week. And some of you might say, why do you say it every week? Because the day I stop preaching the gospel is the day I should not be a pastor ever again. Jesus, I've said it multiple times today, but Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. And if there's anybody here, anybody listening online, or anybody who hears this recording later on, who for some reason says, well, I, I'm not sure I'm saved, or I, I don't know if I've, then yeah, now, today is the day, we're told back in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 2. Today is the day, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. So we don't harden our hearts. Instead, we seek the Lord. And if you don't know him as Savior, today is the day. Question number two. Are we continuing in the will of God for our lives without any delay? Now, I'm asking you this, and you hear me say all the time that I'm, I'm living out my calling, and I'm very grateful for that. But something I've become keenly aware of over the last few months is that I'm not living out all of it. There are things that God wants me to do that I haven't been doing. By his grace, I'm going to start. There's things that God wants you to do. Are you doing it? It's a big question, isn't it? Kind of convicting. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you, it's his fault, not mine. He tells me what to ask. You're, you, you answer him, not me. But is there something God's calling you to do that you've been neglecting? Lastly, are we living every aspect of our lives by faith? And this is hard for us. At least it's hard for me. I'm going to admit that. One of my favorite prayers is in Mark chapter 9, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But there are so many times in my life when I know I am to be living by faith. I know I am to trust God with something. And I struggle to do so. And then I have to repent. And then I go, all right, Lord, I'm going to give it over. I'm going to give it to you. Here it is. I want it back. No, no, you're supposed to trust me. All right, Lord, here it is. I want it back. And eventually I say, here it is. And he says, just leave it there. I'm going to take care of it. Okay. Is there anything like that? But we are supposed to be living our lives by faith. That's how, one of the many ways, but one of the main ways that we can show this world that we're living out what we believe. Because, folks, that's how we're going to change this world. That's how we're going to change our city and our valley. Is, is I love that you're all here. Now take here, my breath. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are so good to each and every one of us. I'm so grateful for your amazing love and grace and compassion, for your mercy and your kindness. I'm thankful that you hold me I'm thankful that you've called me. I'm thankful for the purpose you have for each and every person here, for the purpose you have for our church. I'm excited to see what you do with it. Most of all, I'm excited that Jesus is coming back. One way or the other, I cannot wait for the day that I see you face to face. Until then, may each of us glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen.